right, church. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Stand with me this morning. As I was praying this morning, you know, last week was clarity. You guys remember, the Lord just was really speaking clarity in our lives, clarity on decisions we needed to make, just clarity in general over, you know, there's so much stuff that's going on. And I felt this morning that the word for the, from the Lord this morning was trust. Trust. Trust in Him. Not in this world, not in our government, not in the church leadership completely. Uh, you guys, you have to understand, everyone's human. But God is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And we can fully trust Him. You know, the Bible says to lean not on our what? On our own understanding. But trust in the Lord. And what happens is then He directs our paths. Not our own thoughts, our own actions, our own minds, but He directs our paths. So can we trust in Him today? Trust in Him to do a work in our lives, in our church, in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our community. Let's trust Him this morning. Amen? Amen. Or I'm going to do a call to worship. I'm actually going to read this uh, today instead of having you guys repeat after me. It's out of Revelation 15. I'm going to read verse 3 and verse 4 together. It says, They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying this, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. says in verse 4, who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations, come on church, for all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. Heavenly Father, we just come to you this morning, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and we worship you. We enter into your presence, trusting you and you alone. Father, have your way in this place. Holy Spirit, lead us, guide us, speak through us this morning. We love you and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship. He's like, 
you know, we, we know that knowledge is important. And the word says, uh, my people perish for lack of knowledge. But you know, that woman knew him. She knew him. But she didn't know how to read. So, you know, she didn't, she didn't read his word every day. She couldn't read his word. You know, Smith Wigglesworth didn't know how to read till he was like 47 or 50 years old or something like that. When he got called, he got, he got saved. And yeah, man, the Lord wants her. She learned to read. He learned to read. So I'm not knocking knowledge. I'm not knocking reading the word. But what I'm saying is she knew him. She knew him. She knew his presence. She knew his voice. And you know that she followed him. She followed him into danger over and over and over again. And people around her were saying, you can't do it this way. You can't go like this. There's a, there's a way to do it. And this isn't the way. She said, he said, I go, I go. Yeah. She did not lose one passenger. Not one person died on her watch. She knew him. And he operated in the miraculous to save to bring out of bondage. He was with her. So don't disqualify yourself this morning because you were enslaved. He is your salvation. Because you struggle with strongholds, because you struggle with things, he is your salvation. Put your eyes on Jesus. You can't feel him. I've been there, but I know he's there. He is with you, not because you feel him with you, but because he is with you, because his word is true and he will never leave you nor forsake you. So this morning, as we come to the communion table, no matter how you feel, doesn't matter how you've sinned or how your week has gone or what, 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 um, what mountains you see in front of you, he is with you. He is for you. The world cannot take from you that which he has planned for you. The world can't take from you that which he has planned for you. In Jesus' name. The communion tables are up here. If you're gluten-free, there's a little plate in the middle. Come. Let's take the elements, go back to your seats. We're going to hold on to them. We're going to take communion together this morning.
communion is defined as the believer's celebration of the Lord's Supper and his sacrifice on our behalf. He paid the price. He went to the cross. He did it all. He's asking us just to believe and receive the beautiful gift of the cross. Lord, we thank you for everything you've done for us, everything you're doing for us, and everything you will do for us. Father, we come to this table to partake of the body and the blood. It's a time to remember what you've done for us. Father, we thank you that your word says that you see our hearts, you know our hearts. So, Father, we just lay them down before you this morning. We thank you for it in your precious name. The Bible says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. We had given thanks, he broke it. And said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake. also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Let us partake. Guys, we're going to continue to worship. You guys want to stand with me? The altars are open. And I really have this sense, just as you had said about Harriet Tubman or Smith Wigglesworth, they trusted God. They had to trust Him. Because they did things that were miraculous, unbelievable, but it wasn't in their own strength and their own powers because they trusted God. And I know there's people here this morning, and I'm with you, so no judgment on this is there are times we're not fully trusting him in every area of our life. Could be finances, relationship, whatever it might be. And we're going to sing this song called The Goodness of God. And if that's you this morning, if you're just like, Lord, I'm making a choice to trust you more fully in this area of my life, I just want you to come up to the altar. No one's going to pray for you. No one's going to judge you. Just come up and say, Lord, I trust you. It says of this in Jeremiah 17, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river 
and will not fear when heat comes. Come on, church. Let's get rooted in his trust this morning. For whatever's happening in the world, we don't have to fear it. But its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought. Nor will it cease from yielding fruit. Hallelujah. So come up this morning. If you just want to spend some time with the Lord and at the altar, you can. Let's worship together. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness. And Father, we trust in you and in you alone. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Isn't he good? Isn't he so good to us? In the word, there's a a situation going on in there, and the author says, even though he slay me, yet will I worship him. Yeah? Is that what it says? All right, good. Even though he slay me, yet I will worship him. If, If he never does exactly what you're needing him to do, will you trust him? that he's got you and that he knows what he's doing in your life. Even if what you've been praying for doesn't happen the way you think it should happen, will you trust him? He's so good. He's so trustworthy. Because as I was standing there, I just felt that... Kind of put the pressure on Jake on the spot. <clears throat> I just feel like he's got something to play on the keys for us. To just listen. To just rest in his presence this morning. To fully trust him. Not part way, not halfway. Fully trusting in him this morning. So maybe you didn't come up yet, or maybe you were thinking about coming up. But Jake's going to minister right now through music. And I just want you to rest in his presence.
Hey, everybody. <laughs> Something that the Lord spoke to my heart. Uh, I heard a, another pastor say this one time, and just something that just changed me inside. And that is in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, the Lord Jesus said that he wants to lavish his love upon us. That is something that I, I never read. I, I missed that. And it changed my heart, changed my life. I mean, he, and I was just telling the pastor, it's like when your children, the one that pleases you, you just want to lavish your love on him. And even the one that doesn't, he, you want to lavish your love on him because you want him to. You want him to obey you. You just, and you're showing them your love. And when the other children see that, they're like, wow, he loves me just as much as the other one, no matter what I've done. So just remember that, you know, and <laughs> the more we fill ourselves with the word, the more we pray, God just keeps showing me. It's like the enemy can't even touch you almost because the more you keep pressing into his word and just praying to him, he just, he won't let the enemy touch you. So, and even if he does, he's with you. <laughs> so it doesn't even matter because we can still go to him. He's always there. So just remember, God wants to lavish his love upon you. Never forget that. That's a super good word. That is the word for this morning. That was, that was the word that God wanted to bring forth. Chuck, so thank you. Thank you for coming up and doing that. Um, I'm going to say something that's been on my heart since the beginning of service, and I wasn't going to because it, I don't want it to be awkward, and I don't want it to be weird. But after that word kind of confirms what the Lord had spoken to me this morning. So we're family here, right? We're church family. And what I was thinking about right at the beginning of service, and I just held on to it, was that I just want to thank you, Pastor Jason. Because you protect this space. You protect this space for all of us who need to come here and feel the love of God and feel his presence. And you're faithful. This man goes out and he walks every morning with Jesus, literally. Every day. But you protect this space and you love like Jesus. I don't know any other way to say it, but what you do is you create this space where anyone can come in and right where they're at is okay. But the atmosphere of love changes them. You know, it's the love of Jesus that changes us. It's kind of sitting in that perfect love that begins to change us from the inside out. We make ourselves so busy trying to change ourselves on the outside in to be acceptable to him. We're missing it completely. We're making the process take so much longer. So I just wanted to thank you. Thank you for protecting this congregation, for protecting the spirit of grace, for creating a, a space where the Holy Spirit comes so there's freedom. There's freedom to be a hot mess and yet not be disqualified from operating in the gifts, from operating in the spirit. That's what I wanted to say. I wasn't going to say it because I didn't want to put you on the spot. 
But I, I have, I have benefited from that, from that for 22 years. And y'all, welcome, welcome to the love and the comfort of His leadership. That's all I want to say. Thank you, baby. Oh man. <laughs> is my birthday week, so <laughs> thank you for all the happy birthday wishes as well. Thank you, babe, for saying that. Uh, okay, uh, so, so let's close out our time of worship with Psalm, Psalm 100. It says, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Hallelujah. Come on. Hallelujah. All right. All right, you guys are on it today. This is good. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Amen and amen. Amen. All right. All right. As we move into greeting time, if this is your first time with us, welcome. Um, no two services are ever the same. Praise God for that, that his spirit moves and just leads us right where we need to be, fills us up. So welcome. On the back of the chair in front of you, there's a, a connection card. Uh, just let us know that you were here. You can fill it as much or as little information as you want, um, but it just lets us know that you were here. Um, also, prayer requests, praise reports, testimonies. Those cards can come up then into the offering buckets, which will be up front here during, during our break. Um, Kid Corner is open. ECF Kids, you know your bag. You guys can go grab it. Um, if you're a guest, we have special guest bags for your children. We have sermon notes for your kids and some books they can borrow during service. Um, so head to Kid Corner, and let's just greet one another and lift each other up during this time. Good morning. Good morning. All right, Pastor sent me up here to try to get everybody's attention. <laughs> All right, so I am here to talk about OCC which is Operation Christmas Child. And um, everyone on the sheets, there should be like a little slip talking about our packing prep night, which is Wednesday, September 29th from 5 to 7. And some of the tasks that we need are help with putting soap in the baggies and filling out baggies and just getting everything ready for the distribution. So... We're going to talk about the journey of a shoebox. So what happens with the shoeboxes once we pack them here? So after we pack them here and they start the process, then there's the shipping. And volunteers inspect and prepare the shoeboxes for shipping to um, international places. And the nice thing about it is the volunteers stop every hour and they pray over the shoe boxes. So the boxes are bathed in prayer. And then they have worldwide distributions to over more than 100 countries. But for some of the kids, it's what they call once-in-a-lifetime opportunity because they try not to go to the same place twice. 
And then once they distribu uh, they're distributed, they do what's called the greatest gift. And it's a little booklet that Samaritan Purse put together to invite the participants, the um, recipients to participate in a discipleship 12 lesson program, which is called the greatest journey. And so the nice thing about it is that the lesson becomes a part of multiplication as well as discipleship because once the children go through the 12 lesson course, then they're able to bring their parents and their siblings to the graduation. And then that's a way for them to start the discipleship process. Now, good thing to know is since 2009, more than 26.5 million children have participated in this program. So what we're asking for everyone to do this year is to help because we would like to, in addition to packing the box, we would like to do the shipping, which they're asking each person to do $9. So if you do $9 times 300 boxes, you're talking about $2,700. So what I would like to do right now is to start a line. Um, anybody that has $100, you want to form a line here. If you have 50, you can come here. And then if you have five or some change, we're going to start here. No, just kidding. Let's take it. Anybody who has been to a, I will say, a church of color know that at times they've had, you know, conventions and stuff, and they start the dollar line and the $50 line. So I knew Pastor Jason would get a laugh out of that. But no, seriously, if anybody remember when I came up last year or the year before, my motto was cash is, cash is king. Some people remember that. Okay. So, um, what I would like to say this year is God has done a 320. You're saying 320. No, no, no. Maybe you mean 360. You know, like a 360 turnaround. No, he's done a 320 because according to Ephesians 320, in the Passion Translation, it says, Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. He will do that, do them all for his miraculous power. Pastor Liz talked about miraculous. Is where I'm thinking, man, she read my notes. His miraculous power constantly, constantly energizing you. So thank you for your time. And I'm excited about the packing party, and I'm also excited to see what else God does. Thank you. Sid and I were texting, so I got to scroll up, find the actual announcements. Um, so unfortunately, Youth Night and the Luciano small groups are both canceled for tonight. Um, just because some illnesses and COVID and stuff. So just be praying for healing and, you know, all of that recovering. Um, this is the last week to sign up for the child and baby dedication um, Sunday, which will be next Sunday, right? And then um, Breakthrough Weekend is this coming weekend, uh, the 24th and the 25th. And it sounds like there's going to be some really great breakout sessions. 
A um, couple of them following in the prophetic, hearing God's voice, identifying spiritual gifts, spirit-led prayer, baptism of the Holy Spirit, and divine healing. So it should be a really great um, weekend filled with God's presence. So hope everyone can come. Yeah, we're really looking forward to the conference this weekend. Uh, the things that Elle was reading there are the there's six breakout sessions that will happen uh, that you have an opportunity to go to. So the schedule, the way it's run, is Friday night. So this Friday night is the first session. Uh, it's a big group session. Uh, Pastor uh, from out of town, Cornell. I can't remember his last name, but uh, he'll be he'll be joining us uh, Friday evening, and then Saturday morning there's a session, which would be session two. And then there's two breakout sessions. So during those two breakout sessions, you can choose one of those six things or so that Elle read, uh, either hear, hearing from God, prophetic prayer, divine healing, and you get two options. So you, it's like, ah, which one do I want to go to? It's difficult to choose, but you get to go to two different ones, and then they do another uh, final session uh, in the evening. Uh, lunch is provided uh, with the cost of registration, so there are some cards in the back if you want to, you know, take one of these or scan it, go online, uh, visit Erie first, uh, you can get the information there as well, but we're looking forward to it. Uh, we're doing one of the sessions as well, so uh, we're, yeah, don't come to ours, you probably heard everything I have to say, most of it, so go to a different session. Uh, how many pastors encourage their people to go somewhere else? That's me right now. Uh, just go to other, just hear other things, man. God is so good. He, he, he works. Yeah, Kevin Nelson's doing one of them. Uh, the Friends, Paul Friend and Matt Friend uh, are both doing different sessions. Nicole Schreiber's doing a session. So all local pastors are doing the breakout sessions, and then we're bringing in a pastor from out of town to do the main session. So looking forward to that. Uh, it's going to be great. Okay, uh, offering. I have a verse this morning I want to read. Uh, out of 2 Corinthians 9, um, starting in verse 7. And we've been kind of walking through 2 Corinthians 9 here uh, as we've been doing a little series on, on tithes and offerings. It says, so let each one give, let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so I always, I'm always amazed because we, obviously we sit up front. And so when we put the offering buckets up here, I always love watching people come and bring their offering. Because I've yet to see in our church, by the grace of God, thank you, Lord, anybody bring in their offering one of these ways. <laughs> yeah, pastor going to talk about money again. Here we go. Right? No, not, not in our church, baby. I don't, maybe that doesn't happen anywhere. I don't know. But our church is a cheerful givers. You know, our church gives above and beyond. The Ephesians 3.20, I love that verse. And verse 21, he just does exceedingly abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. And I'm so thankful for our church. I'm so thankful for the giving nature of our church. I'm excited that we're going to raise the money to ship all 300 shoeboxes. That's, amen, $2,700. We're going to raise that money as well. But God is so good. He is so faithful. And I believe every bill paid, not just at the church, but in, in everyone's lives as well. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your goodness, for your faithfulness. Father, we trust in you with our finances, completely trust in you. So, Lord, we just pray a blessing over every gift, every giver. 
Father, we pray over these boxes as we begin to pack them and get them ready, that those 300 boxes will just be received with open arms, not just for the things that are in them, but for the message of the gospel that comes with them. And Father, I thank you, Lord, that lives will be changed, hearts will be moved towards you. Father, and that the impact will reach for generation after generation. Father, we thank you for all you're doing and working in our church and our families. And Father, I just pray over this message this morning that it would be your words, not mine, to share with this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, uh, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to get into Matthew chapter 18. We're continuing the series on offenses. Again, I've explained last week, I know this is football season. I know Penn State won again last night. Woohoo! Yeah, they're 3-0, that's right. Uh, for those who don't know me, I am a huge football fan, specifically a Penn State Nittany Lion fan, uh, but they're doing great this year, so I'm still in a happy mood based on football. Uh, but we've been doing a series on offenses. This is actually week number five. So week one, we just talked about what offenses are. And the Greek word used in the Bible in Luke uh, for, uh, for an offense is called scandalon. And it basically talks about the trap, the bait. And we called it the bait of Satan, uh, referencing John Bevere's book. But there are so many great things. I encourage you to read that book as well. But the bait, what it is, what it looks like. Week two, we talked about not offering the bait. You know, woe to him or her who brings an offense. We talked about how to live our lives in not bringing offenses or even offering that bait to others. Then we talked about, two weeks ago, we talked about how not to take the bait because the Bible says it's impossible that they're not going to come, which means they will come. And we walked through what does it look like to not walk into the trap and get stuck with that offense and how to work through that. And then last week we said, hey, guess what? We're all human, and we've all walked into the trap, willingly, unwillingly, and we got stuck in the trap, and we worked last week about how to get out of the trap once we were in it, and once we were stuck. And so this week, we're going to kind of continue this this series, and we're going to talk about how to reconcile, how to reconcile. So it's one thing to get out of the trap. But it's another thing to actually walk through the process of reconciliation with a fellow believer. And I think it's important to understand what that looks like. And we're going to walk through kind of Matthew chapter 18 so that we can understand, you know, the, the, the biblical way in which we need to reconcile. So what I'm going to do this morning, which I've typically been doing, is I'm going to read parts of this scripture and then I'm going to stop and just talk about it for a minute. And then I'm going to give you five points again. Everyone's happy with the five points? Okay. Yep. If the five, not a three-pointer, but a five-pointer. We're going even deeper this morning. We're going five points, and they will be on the screen again. Okay. All right. This is week two, two in a row. I'm going to set you up for a potential offense. One week, I'm going to come in and not give, this, I'm going to not give the points up there. I'm going to be like, let's test everybody and see how we're doing on offenses. No points on the overhead today. I can't believe he did that to me, right? No, it's okay. So here we go. So how to reconcile. First, let me say this. Reconciliation is hard. It's hard. It's hard to do because you're not reconciling with someone that everything is hunky-dory with, right? 
Like it's, I mean, this, when you're reconciling, that means something was broken. There was an issue. There was something that broke. There was an offense that was taken. There was a sin that happened. There was something you have to do and get over and work through in order to reconcile. So, guys, this is hard. We're human. I get it. This is hard. And there's a responsibility here. We're going to talk about where this responsibility lies. But a lot of times it resides in both places, in both parties of this. Now, I will tell you this before I start. That when we preach the Word of God and we teach out of the Word of God, and you get a revelation, it's called an illumination or a revelation which means once you have it and have been taught it, the Lord expects you to do it. So I'm going to give you a chance now. If you'd like to leave, (laughs) before I get into the process of reconciliation, I'm going to turn my back, and I won't even look. Y'all can, if I turn around and there's nobody here, that's okay, I get it, it's hard. I'm going to turn around just for, no, I'm just kidding, but sort of. What I want you to know is, like, this isn't, like, optional stuff. This isn't just like, hey, you know, that was a nice message. I felt really good or didn't feel that great or the Holy Spirit convicted me. We give these messages so you can grow in Christ. So you can grow in your walk with the Lord and what the Lord wants to go do and what the Bible says for us to go do. So these are difficult things I'm talking about, and I get that. And I just want you guys to be aware of that, okay? Now, first of all, I just want you to know that this also, it's talking about relationships with fellow believers. And this process we're going to talk about, not that it doesn't work with someone who is an unbeliever, but it's primarily focused for two believers that need to have a reconciliation. And you'll see why here in a minute. So Matthew 18. Oh, I wrote this down. This is not for the faint at heart. It's time to put your big boy and your big girl pants on. I don't know where, the, you know, where that originated from. Your big boy pants, your big girl pants but it's time to put them on, okay? All right, here we go. Matthew 18, verse 6. And again, there's a lot of parallels here to Luke 17. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him or her if a millstone were hung around their neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Guys, this is Jesus talking. Okay, can we just, you know, I know Jesus is love and he showed love and he went to the cross, but Jesus sometimes has some pretty strong words for us to live by and to abide by, like some serious stuff. And he, I mean, offense is a serious thing that he wants to deal with because he understands, we talked about this way back in week one, what offenses lead to. Offenses lead to betrayal and hatred and a lack of love if they are not being dealt with as God intends us to deal with these. Verse 7 says this, Woe to the world because of offenses. Oh, yes. Woe to the world because of offenses. That means each and every one of us, all of us, he's saying, hey, woe to you guys. This is difficult stuff. For offenses must come. In Luke 17, it says they will come, guaranteed. Here it says they must come. But woe to the man by whom the offense comes. So this is back a couple weeks ago. You can listen to that message. Verse 8. Again, this is, remember, this is Jesus talking. This isn't Pastor Jason. <laughs> okay. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. 
Like, whoa, Pastor Jay, what are you saying this morning? I said, I'm reading what Jesus said. <laughs> I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying, well, this is what Jesus says. If your hand or your foot causes sin, cut it off and cast it far from you. For it is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed, maimed rather than to have two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. Oh, this is difficult stuff. And Jesus is speaking this direct to us and to his disciples because he understands the power of sin. He understands offenses. He understands the challenges that are out there that we have to say, we have to make a commitment to walk with the Lord through his Holy Spirit in the sanctification process to move us from here to there. Because he doesn't want us to stay right here. I always say this, the goal is whole. The goal is whole. And when we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, if anybody told you your road map for life was just going to get easy peasy pie, they were not telling you the truth. Because the walk with Jesus is to shed things, to break things, to change things, to be repentant of things that we used to do because the old is gone and the new has come. So this is tough stuff. Verse 9, and if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes and be cast into hellfire. So is Jesus talking about this literally? Is he like, you know, are we supposed to be gouging our eyes out? No, I think what he's trying to understand explain to us is the importance of this. To understand, like we said last week, how we related, you know, we have these sin, sin categories, do we not? We talked about this a little bit last week. We got the major sins, murder, adultery, and then we have the rest of the sins which maybe aren't quite as bad in our own minds. Like maybe gossip, maybe unforgiveness. I think what Jesus is saying here is, what if we treated gossip like adultery? What if we treated unforgiveness like murder? And that that sin, and we see it as a sin, and we need to say, Lord, Lord, you need to help me with this. Right? If we went and murdered someone, we would be crying for help. Lord, help me. I can't believe that happened. But when we sit... In unforgiveness, we don't typically always have that attitude. What I think Jesus is just making us very aware that it's super important that we understand this. And he says this because he knows the pain and hurt that comes from it. And he's leading us somewhere. We'll skip down to verse 15. In between the verse that we ended in verse 9 there and 15, he's talking about the, you know, the lost sheep going after the one. But in 15 says, moreover, so he's talking about sin, he's talking about these difficult things about reconciliation with your brother, uh, the one that's out there, you know, going out to get us. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. For if he hears you, you have gained your brother. Look at that. Moreover, if, when, <laughs> Your brother, another fellow believer, a sister in the Lord, a brother in the Lord, sins against you. 
Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Here's what just jumped out at me. You know, a lot of times we think of, you know, forgiveness. Like, man, I messed up. I need to go to apologize to my wife. I said something I shouldn't have. I did something I shouldn't have. And a lot of times, right, we live our lives like that. We repent. We ask for forgiveness. We say, I'm not going to do that anymore. We go do that. Jesus is not talking about that. You're like, wait, what are you talking about? It says more of it. If, a, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him. Wait a second. You mean... If someone sinned against me, I am the one who has to go to them? And I think we always think like this reconciliation process is always the person who did the sin is the one who's going to begin instituting or implementing this reconciliation process. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying is it's the one who was sinned against has also a response, not, he's not abdicating the responsibility of the other person who did the sin, but he's saying is you, the one who got sinned against you, the one who someone came and brought an offense and you took it or it hit you, it hurt you, you're the one who's supposed to go and begin initiating at the same time. You're like, wait a second, I can't believe this. He's saying if someone who has sinned against you, gossiped against you, told a lie about you, You're the one who has to go for this reconciliation. Verse 16, but it says this. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. I'm going to get through the whole process of reconciliation here in a little bit. So basically you go and talk to that person. If it doesn't work, you go with two or three others. Is what the Bible is calling here as a witness, someone who maybe knows the situation, could be a neutral party. Verse 17, if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. Now, I don't know how many of you are walking through the reconciliation process right now, but no one has come to us and said, hey, you know what, I've been trying to reconcile with so-and-so in the church, and then I went again with another fellow believer, and I still tried to reconcile with that person, and it didn't work, and now I'm coming to you, Pastor Jason and Pastor Liz, for help in this reconciliation process. Three years, never happened. So either we're all really good at this, or we're all avoiding this thing like it's nobody's business. I'm leaning towards maybe the, the latter, because I know that is my tendency, I don't want to go reconcile with someone who hurt me. They hurt me, and now the Bible's telling me I got to go to them? Come on. How am I supposed to go do that? We're going to get to that in a minute, how to do that. It says, assuredly, I say to you. So this is, this is incredible. So let me finish verse 17. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you as a heathen and a tax collector. That means if you're working through this and it's not working... You've done what the Lord has asked you to go do. Verse 18 says this, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will also be loosed in heaven. Now, church, we're a a faith church. And we use this scripture a lot, right? I mean, this is like primary prayer warrior scripture type stuff. 
We are loosing things that need loose. We are binding things that need bound. And there's value in that. And that is absolutely something we do in our prayer time. And we're, and we're like we're praying as prayer warriors. But Jesus uses this verse in the context of what? Reconciliation. You're like, whoa. Are you kidding me? He sees this as so important that it, what he's basically showing is that when you come together, and that two of you come together and bind that thing that broke you apart or loose that thing that made a, a riff in your relationship, that the power of God gets released in that situation to bring healing and wholeness and reconciliation that you could not do on your own. I, when I read this, I was just like, wait a second. Whatever you bind on earth, whatever is bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosened in the spiritual realm. So verse 19, he just basically hits it home even further. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Whatever two of you are coming together. Think about that. There's a break in a relationship. Two people coming together to reconcile. And when they come and reconcile, the power of God is in that transaction. And that they together then can bind a thing or loose a thing, whatever's needed, on the situation that caused the rift between them. And that when they're standing together, whatever they are praying for ends up happening. Wait a second, I just thought that means I could just grab a fellow believer. No, what, he's, what the God is saying is that unity in the church is so important. Unity between the believers is so important that I will release my miracle working power to bind things, to loose things, so that those two, when they come together in reconciliation, can have what they pray for. Anybody more excited about trying to reconcile now than you were earlier? Yeah, come on, we, we ought to be. And so often in our life, we ask the Lord, I, this, no, this isn't happening, this isn't happening. And we ask, Lord, I've been praying about this, why isn't this happening? Many times, it's because he is asking you to go do something to help release the power of God in a reconciliation process that we are refusing to go do. Verse 20 says, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. There's power in unity. Miracles happen when there's unity. Verse 21 then says this. So Peter, you know, everybody loves Peter, right? Peter's a, we love Peter in the Bible. He's always asking questions. He's always cutting people's ears off, right? He's always, not always, you know. I should never use always. That was part of the one message, right? Don't use always or never. Okay. A lot of times, Peter is doing, like us, right? We're all, sometimes we get a little ex excitable. It says, Peter came to him and said, Lord, how, how often do I got to do this? Like, this process seems difficult and painful. Like, maybe like once or twice. Is this, do I just have to do this periodically? Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? How should I do it? Up to seven times? Right? He, so he even puts it out there, like, you know what? Like, seven's a stretch for me right now. 
right? I know that's what he's thinking, like, like John over here, what, like, I don't know who he's talking about at the moment. Another is like, do I really need, do I really need to do this, like, even seven times? That'd be like once a day for a week, or maybe once a week for like a month and a half, like, how could I possibly do that this many times? And Jesus says to him, mm, I do not say to you up to seven times, but 70 times seven. And I know all, we all do the math 490 times, but essentially what Jesus was referencing and they understood what he was saying is, it's forever. It's infinity. It's eternity. You have to keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. The seven times seven, the Lord's perfect number, means it's ongoing. It's a constant way in which we have to walk. I think sometimes we have to be the ones who initiate it because there's a lot of times people didn't know that they did something to hurt you. Come on, church. Jesus is encouraging you, the one who got hurt, to go to the other person because there's a good chance they did something and they didn't realize they do it. Or they said something and they didn't mean it that way, but you took it that way. And if you never, ever go, that person sits there and has no idea why you are so ticked off at them all the time. They're like, what's going on with that person? So-and-so doesn't seem to like me. And they never know what they did. They're asking, did I ever do something to offend them? I don't know. That's why Jesus says the one who got offended is the one who has to go initiate. You are the one who were sinned against. But you can't go in anger. You can't go with the heart of revenge. I'm going to show them what they did to me. Mm, They're going to pay. Yeah? Just like parenting, right? You can't go discipline your children when you're angry. I mean, you can. But you shouldn't. Because we say and do things when you're in anger that you then have to go back and apologize for later anyway. So how do we go and reconcile? There's a few steps we have to go do before anything else. Number one, dress yourself in humility. You're like, oh, no, 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 no. You mean there are things that I have to do before I can even go reconcile? The reconciliation process is going to be hard enough, let alone, Pastor Jason, the Bible says things that I have to go do in preparation for reconciliation? Yes, it says, dress yourself in humility. 1 Peter 5 says this. Likewise, verse 5, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed in or with humility. Clothed with humility. That means you need to get dressed. When I said put your big boy and big girl pants on, I'm talking about your humble pants. I'm not talking about the skinny jeans. I'm not talking about any type of actual clothing. I'm talking about your humble pants. If you are going to work through a reconciliation process, you need to humble yourself before the Lord before you start this process. Why is this so important? For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. He actually resists it. If you try to begin the reconciliation process with pride, I know better, I'm going to tell that person what's going on, what is, what for, all that stuff, God actually resists it. 
It actually will not lead to reconciliation because God the Father and all of his power and all of that is actually resisting you. And guess what? You're not more powerful than God. So if he, yeah, what? Theological, wow. No, so you have to understand if he's resisting you, good luck with that. Yeah, right, I mean, it's like, good luck with that. Like, so he's res- actively resisting you, but he gives grace to the humble. It says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, in his timing, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Think about that. There's cares that you hold on to, in even post-reconciliation, but less, during the, as you're working through trying to reconcile. Right? It's like, ugh, stressful, it's painful. He's saying, humble yourself, cast that to me, along with everything else, but in this case, cast those things to me, because he cares for you. Then he says this in verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, vigilant, I like that word, because your adversary, the devil, the enemy, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. If God is resisting you because you're prideful and you don't want to go reconcile, do you see what you're putting yourselves at risk at? The enemy's got his eyes on you. Hmm. That person is walking in pride, doesn't want to do certain things as the Bible is commanding. You're actually putting yourself at risk. And it says, seeking whom you may devour. Verse 9, resist him. So we have to resist him steadfast in faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. You ain't alone on this. You're not alone on this. But he goes after the one who was isolated. And when you don't have a reconciliation, you end up being isolated. Pride is a major obstacle to admitting that we're offended. We all say things like, well, I'm tough. I can make it through. I can get this through on my own. Pride keeps us focused and relying on our own strength to handle painful situations instead of trusting in and leaning on God. So we have to dress ourselves in humility. Point two, we have to exercise our soul and spirit. So not only do I got to get dressed, I got to go to the gym. Yeah, I know some of you hate going to the gym. I'm talking about working out. Exercise your soul and spirit. Acts 24, 16 says this. This being so, I myself always strive. Also the word is used exercise there in other translations. To have a conscience without offense towards God and men. This is work. We have to work at this. This is exercise. Exercise is this, the definition. Exertion made for the sake of training or physical fitness. For a task or a problem done to practice a developed skill. We have to actually work at this. It generally means it signifies to take pains, endeavor, to exercise by training or discipline. How many know sometimes it's painful to work out? You know... I almost want to say it's, it feels like if it's not painful, it's probably not working. <laughs> right? I mean, like, I guess it's, I mean, there's some value, but Paul says it, right? There's some value to working out, but, uh, and I'll get to that in a minute. But 
Some, it has to be pain. It has to exercise. If you don't challenge your muscles and exercise yourself in this, you're not going to be able to, right? Your muscles only grow by putting tension on them and straining them. So we have to exercise our soul and our spirit. Well, how do we do this? I'm going to skip to Isaiah 40, verse 29. It says, He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, He increases strength. So first of all, guess what, guys? We can trust Him. Didn't we say that in the beginning? We can trust Him. He is our exercise partner. Hallelujah. I've seen some exercise partners. Yeah? You've seen the ones who are like yelling at you, like the personal trainers, like, you know, screaming at you and say, get down and give me another one. Put on 10 more pounds on that barbell. Let's go. Right? It's not God is a little more gentle when it comes to us and working out. It's because he understands that we're weak and we need him to help us through this process. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Verse 30. But even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. All the youth, the young people, we think that they're so, they got all this strength. It says, but those who wait on the Lord, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Doesn't say how old you have to be. Old, young, doesn't matter. We have to wait on the Lord. Exercising our spirit and soul means waiting on the Lord. What do you mean by waiting on the Lord? I mean abiding with him. Reading his word, praying, worshiping, fasting. All these things we ought to be doing in preparation for the reconciliation process. All of this stuff has to be done in advance of the reconciliation process. It says in Psalm 27, 13, it says... I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord. That, what does that look like? Time with him, time in the word, praising him, thanksgiving. Point three, one more point before we get to reconciliation. Check your vital signs. We got nurses in here, yep. Got medical professionals in here. I see you all smiling at me. I know each and every one of you guys. You guys know how to check the vital signs, don't you? Right, you check for the pulse, you check the blood pressure, you check are they breathing, you're checking all the vital signs. Well, we, before we walk into reconciliation, we need to check our own vital signs. What does that mean? 2 Corinthians 13.5, it says, examine yourselves... As to whether you are in faith, test yourself. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you are disqualified? Examine yourself. Test yourself. Check your words. What are the words that are coming out of your mouth regarding the person that you are planning to go and reconcile with? The other thing we need to do is check our heart. What is really in our heart regarding that person? And part of getting ready to reconcile is building our heart up towards that person in a positive, godly way. And how do we do that? By praying for them. Yeah, I said it. 
They hurt, wait a second, Pastor Jason. They hurt me. I got to put on this humility. I got to put on all my big boy pants, all my big girl pants. I need to go to the gym and work out and exercise. And I got to pray for them? Yes. Yes. And it can be the most simplest prayer to get you, like, look, you don't got to get on your knees in your prayer closet for three hours and praying for the person who hurt you. It can be as simple as this. I just want you to start somewhere. Lord, bless him. If that's all you can get out, that's a good start. And I would encourage you, even before reconciliation, that for 30 days you work on just praying for that person before you even reach out to them. Amazing how your heart will change and be transformed towards that person when you take 30 days and begin praying for that person. And I'll tell you what, the Holy Spirit will work on the inside of you, and the prayer that you pray on day 30 will be far different than the prayer you prayed on day one. Because all you could get out on day one is, Lord bless him. You know, with the clenched fist and the... Your jaw hurts after even just saying those few words because you're so tight. But when you begin to pray for someone, God begins to soften your heart towards them. And God begins to have a, you begin to look through a different lens towards that person. And these are the things we have to do prior, we check our heart, prior to even going into the reconciliation. Next step, number four, is we need to then seek the reconciliation. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as through God we're pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. It takes two to reconcile. You guys remember that song, It Takes Two? I'm not going to sing it. That's like an old rap song. It's probably a terrible song. It takes two to make a thing go right. Right? So I, this is probably, don't research that song. Don't YouTube it. Definitely don't watch the video for it because I'm pretty sure it's not good. Like, Pastor Jason just told me to go listen to this song, It Takes Two? I think it's, it's not good. It's talking about something else. It's certainly not talking about reconciliation. Why did I say all that? I have no idea. Oh, because like, it takes two. Because one can forgive, and you can forgive. We talked about that last week, how to work through that process of forgiveness. It's hard and it's difficult. It takes one to forgive, but it takes two to reconcile. It takes both parties to reconcile. So what does that look like? Pray. Pray, 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 pray. Then I encourage you to contact that person. Contact them. Reach out to them. Meet with that person. I would encourage you to do it kind of in a, a safe space. Do it maybe at lunch, out to, to breakfast somewhere, over coffee somewhere, in a public place. But before you go in, after you've been praying for 30 days and got yourself in humility and working through checking your heart, John Bevere calls it bringing an atmosphere of goodness. Bringing an atmosphere of goodwill to the meeting, to the discussion. You actively bring something with you. It's called an atmosphere of goodness. And what do we mean by that? It means prepare to meet them in a posture of humility this is not about reminding them of the wrong they have done to you. 
rather going into the meeting apologetically taking ownership of the things that you've done and what you may be said about them because they hurt you and you being the first one to apologize. Mm, I hear a lot of the groans now. Oh, man. I wish I would have walked out when he gave me the chance. <laughs> he gave me the chance. I didn't move on it. We go to them and asking them for forgiving us for our bitterness, for us even taking the offense, for talking bad about them, for holding on to the vent to the offense you don't have to go into this process but laboring on what they did to you but you go in with an atmosphere of goodness with an atmosphere of humility and say will you forgive me for what i've done it's amazing and this is why it's with other believers like look you can be a, like some of us have been recently offended by government officials i'm just saying right a lot of us have been offended lately by government I'm not talking about this. I'm not talking about you setting up a meeting with your government officials. I'm talking about brothers and sisters. I'm talking about the church here. I'm talking about us reconciling with each other to bring what unity to the body of Christ so miracles can occur, so things can happen in your life, so forgiveness and pain and issues and bitterness can be broken in your life. This is important. Like we said earlier, if that didn't work, when you go one-to-one, you bring someone along. And honestly, pray about it. Holy Spirit, lead. There are situations where this is not the right process to go work through. I don't know your situation. I don't know what type of maybe abuse or something happened, or this is a, a process where you maybe need to take somebody on the first meeting. This is not like this is exactly how it should go for every situation. So be led by the Holy Spirit and understand how the Lord wants you to operate here. The last one is pursue peace. Jake, if you want to come up here and give me a little mood music as we close. Lighten the load a little. Pursue peace. Hebrews 12, 14 says this. Pursue peace with all people. All people. That means the ones who hurt you, the ones who offended you, and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. <gasps> Do you mean that me reconciling and pursuing peace with someone who hurt me actually shows Jesus to the world? That's what that scripture says to me. It means it's actually something that the Lord wants us to do. So It's so powerful, it's like sharing the gospel message. It's like sharing it. Look at that. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Pursuing this peace actually opens people's eyes to things. Looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this many become defiled. We have to pursue peace. We have to pursue peace because the opposite of it is getting rooted in bitterness. And how many of you know if you stand too long in one place, you begin to build roots there. And we want to stand on the word of God. We want to stand in unity. But when we stand in bitterness and in unforgiveness, 
and a lack of reconciliation, we begin to stand into a place where we begin to build roots and not the ones that we want to build because once a root is established, it's a lot harder to move. We close with this verse. Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. As we do our best to mend broken relationships, God will honor our efforts. God's in this process. This is his process, not mine. It's a biblical process, not a TED Talk to make better friends or to influence people. This is a biblical mandate dare I say the word mandate did he just say mandate and didn't follow with the word mask or right yes he did it's something in the bible that says we need to go do this because God loves us and he cares about us and he wants unity within the body so bow your heads with me this morning listen as I say this this may come as a shock to you but Jesus never told us to pray for our mom and dad he said honor your parents he didn't even tell us to pray for those who love and treat us well he challenges us to pray for those who have mistreated us Over and over, Jesus says, pray for those who have hurt you. This is not easy to do. But by the help of the Holy Spirit, I believe we can do it. So Heavenly Father, we just come to you today. Lord, we know reconciliation is hard, but it's of you. So Lord, we just ask that you will help us to dress ourselves in humility to help us as we exercise our soul and our spirit. Father, through your Holy Spirit, reveal to us our vital signs so that we can be prepared to reconcile. And Father, help us to pursue peace in every way and every day. Father, help us today by the power of your Holy Spirit to do what is impossible or on our own that we can only do with you. So Father, I pray now for relationships that need reconciled. Lord, that you would help us, lead us, and guide us through this process. That as we see, that as we do it, the fruit that comes out of it, that will only make it easier the next time. So, Father, we thank you for it in your precious name. Amen. Every head bowed and every eye closed still. Say, Pastor Jason, this is all great stuff. But, man, I just don't have a relationship with this God you're talking about. I've never made that decision. I've never received that gift that you were talking about earlier, the gift of salvation, the gift of the actual, ultimate reconciliation with God the Father 
through Jesus Christ, his son, and what he did on the cross. If that's you this morning, if you've never made that decision, you can make it today. Just slip your hand up. I'll see your hand. Anyone here today says, I want to start a relationship with Jesus. Okay, that's all right. Look up here. we got some prayer teams that are going to come up to the front. I know it's a little bit late today, but that's okay. If you need prayer for anything, come up here. Healing, relationship, just even helped on this reconciliation. Lord, I need, know I need to do something. Lord, help me. Just come up here. These guys will pray with you this morning. Now I'm going to read this benediction as you guys leave today. 1 Thessalonians 3. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your goodness, for your faithfulness. We trust in you and you alone. We give you all the honor, the praise, and the glory. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen and amen. Hopefully I'll see you Friday night at the conference. Don't forget, if you are signing up for the dedication, we need your name info today along with the email on your photos. That's it. Have a great week.